Right now, Amazon is offering some amazing extra perks that come with a job offer. If you start a warehouse job, you can get a $1,000 sign-on bonus. That means you start earning a paycheck right away, plus you get extra cash to use before the holidays. Applying is so easy, you don't even need an interview. It's never been so rewarding to start an hourly job that's close to home. So what are you waiting for? To join the team today, visit Amazon.com slash sign-on bonus. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. And welcome to Popscreen, where that corner of the Geek Show podcast network that likes to look at movies either starring about or by pop stars. No, the podcast covers such a broad range of musical and cinematic genres, from country and western to hip hop, from documentaries to science fiction. I'm your host, Graham Williamson. I'm a filmmaker and writer for thegeekshow.co.uk, as well as Horrified, the British horror website. I've been joined this week by. It's Andrew again. Hello. Hello, Andrew. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me as the host of the podcast Behold, where we look at comic book adaptations and rank them from worst to best, like some kind of grand cosmic entity. And also on the old Twitters at... Oh my God, I forgot my own Twitter handle. <laughs> because it's such a great site. You're there all the time, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't love just staring at the constant, unending scroll of misery? <laughs> but if you want to see that scroll of misery, I'm at Hocus Blocus, but with K's instead of C's just to make things complicated. Indeed. Normally, when we cover a film on pop screen, even if it's a very good film, we are still doing something that is made for basically mercenary reasons. Richard Lester did not want to make a film about the Beatles. He was a jazz fan, but there was a market for a film about the Beatles, so he was hired to direct one. This week's film could represent a landmark in that I think it is the first time we have covered a film that no one was asking for. (laughs) Very much so, yes. (laughs) Because I, I don't, I mean, my memories of the early 2010s are patchy. My, my memory of 2019 is patchy because it's been like that for a few years. But I do not remember armies of people saying, you know what this world really needs? A version of Robocop that inexplicably stars South African hip hop act Deant Word. I mean, I I suppose their fans wanted to see it, which, I mean, from from a business perspective, they have to have fans, right? (laughs) It would would make touring quite difficult if they didn't. I think that there was a point, to be entirely fair, where it looked like the ant words were about to sort of blow up on an international scale, so long as they didn't sabotage everything, uh, which they did. But... It could have happened. Yeah. Jennifer, it's been a long... Well, I said it's been a long time. It's been at least a few months since I've scrolled down a Wikipedia article and seen quite so extensive a controversy section. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Have you been to... Uh, because that, the Antwerp of a duo of uh, Ninja and Yolandi Visser... Um, oh, have... also, that's, that's a point I need to maybe draw a line in the sand. Yeah. I am going to refer to him as Watkin Tudor Jones. Yes. Do you think his entire persona is an attempt to like to, to just get that out, to deal with the trauma of having a name as posh as Watkin Tudor Jones? I think so. And it's interesting because I, I before this, didn't even know of Watkin 
as like a potential name that a person can have. Yes. But he looks like so much of a Watkin. He does. He absolutely does. It's like if you gave that name to me out of context and asked me what it was, I would be torn between a type of house design or the type of condiment that hasn't been popular since the 1950s. And he is like the human equivalent of that. I guess, yeah, yeah. He's... But yes, no, I, I point blank refuse to call a grown man ninja. I think you make a solid case there. But it is extremely embarrassing. It is, especially if, say, some kind of character was supposed to be yelling it out in a very dramatic moment. <laughs> My favourite uh, bit uh, relating to his stage name is the song that they play over the end credits. They play the Antwerp song over the end credits in which the backing vocals repeatedly shout, Go Ninja. And you think, well... You can't just do that and expect me not to think of Vanilla Ice and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm almost disappointed that I didn't get to that bit in my just absolute unbridled <laughs> fury to slam the stop button. <laughs> we, we, should, we should talk about that then. Do, do you really hate this film? I should we mention what the film is first of all? I think we've kind of skipped that bit. We probably should. Yeah, it's Chappy, listeners, the film that teaches you how to recognise Chappy. Because yeah, Chappy, the Neil Blomkamp film Chappy about the robot Chappy. Yes, is a film. I saw it in cinemas back in 2015 when it came out. Because I mean, I I went to university in the early 2010s. I was a Neil Blomkamp fan. <laughs> yes. So, and at the time, I thought it was a good movie ruined by the inexplicable stunt casting of Deantvert. <laughs> and, and I'm glad that I've had the time to kind of rewatch and, and reconsider what I think was maybe a, a juvenile opinion, just based on kind of some surface level problems with that performance. Because now I realize the whole thing is just a bit tosh. <laughs> Yes, we should talk about Blomkamp's previous career because that is the context that I think makes this film so bizarre. Yeah, I, he... I, I, do, I wonder if Blomkamp just has had some kind of breakdown. He, he... he seems to be in an odd place. <laughs> because like, he made District 9, mm. became like the sci-fi critical darling and got a Maybe Best cause... Picture nomination. People forget District 9 got a Best Picture nomination at the Oscars. Yeah, for what is South African history but prawns. Yes. South African history X-Files, if you will. Yeah, so did that. Gifted unto the world the glorious presence that is Shalter Copley. Indeed. Made Elysium, a film that exists. <laughs> and then he just went through this bizarre period where he seemed to be attached to absolutely everything yes like I know he was supposed to be doing a Robocop sequel which I mean I, I guess he kind of made here he's meant yep. to be doing a Halo film he's meant to be doing Alien 5 mm -hmm. I think just a bunch of other kind of sci-fi projects basically if a big sci-fi film was announced during the mid-2010s, Neil Blomkamp was going to be the director of it. Yes. Uh, he, he and then all of them got cancelled. They did. And he, he seems quite sanguine about this, which I like. In a recent interview, he explicitly said about Alien 5, look, it might just be the case that Ridley Scott saw Chappie and thought, there is no way I'm letting this guy near it. And fair enough. <laughs> I think this is one of the few times where I'm in agreement with Ridley Scott. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that this is effectively his Robocop sequel. It is Neva's damn it, Robocop. Yeah, in the, the main villain is literally just Ed 209. It is. 
And you know, I, I am I am prepared to defend this film on plagiarism charges to a certain extent. You know, I do not think that Paul Verhoeven came up with the concept of using science fiction devices to examine a future fascist law enforcement regime. You know, it's they both have their roots in 2000 AD, but the Yet 209 lift is shameless, absolutely shameless. It really is. Also, I feel it would be unfair to accuse Chappie of ripping off Paul Verhoeven's examination of a futuristic fascist, fascistic police force, since it doesn't really do that. Mm, yes. Yeah, one of the things that, and, and we are going to spoil this, listeners, if you haven't listened before, uh, but I'm going to go very deep into spoilers right now. One of the things that plays very differently about Chappie these days is that the happy ending involves the South African police department thinking, oh, actually, we're going to hire more police officers instead, good old human police officers rather than these robots. And you're watching it and you think, hooray? Ish. Yep, good, trustworthy human police officers. This is who are luckily incorruptible, unlike the robots. <laughs> this is one of Neil Blomkamp's auto trademarks, which is the combined desire to say something about race with being really tone deaf about race. Yeah. God, I, I think this film it really does bring into focus just like how immature a filmmaker he is, doesn't it? And some of it's kind of fun. I mean, I remember even when District Nine came out, there was the odd, there was the odd person who said, "Oh, I liked it when it was kind of an allegory," but at the end, it just becomes about smashing things up and shooting people. And every time that objection was raised, I just thought. Yeah, the ending of District 9 is great fun. Thank you for reminding me. But this is biting off more commentary candy than it can chew in its subtextual mouth. I mean, it, it makes some pretty profound points. Like, like, what if doing paintings is better than guns? Mm, <laughs> makes you think. <laughs> This uh, <laughs> that links to my second favourite line of the film, uh, which is when Dev Patel is leaving Chappie with Deant Word, and he calls after him, "Nurture your creativity, Chappie." Yes, that's an actual line in the film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This has an incredibly stacked cast, all of whom were shuffled to the back in favour of the ant word for some reason. I know, that's what makes it so bad. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver has like two scenes in this. She has two scenes, but does get to deliver my first favourite line of the film, which is, I authorise the launch of the moose. Yes. <laughs> Oscar for just getting through that, to be honest. I mean, this, this film does automatically come a hundred times better every time you remember that the gigantic murder bot is called The Moose. I, I'm sure someone online has made an edit of this where, through the miracle of clumsy CGI, the moose is replaced with an actual moose that just goes on a killing spree at the end. And can fire rockets. <laughs> yeah, one of the most not good calls that Blomkamp has made with this is looking at his cast of Dev Patel, Sigourney Weaver and Hugh Jackman and thinking, uh, what can Tudor thingy? He's definitely the leading man for this. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got such range. <laughs> I mean, do, do you think this is why Charlotte Copley had to just be the voice of Chappie? Because they already had just such a talented physical performer. <laughs> I 
think Charlotte Copley probably had the best gig in this film uh, in that he did not have to be anywhere near the ant words for the duration of the filming. Like, by all accounts, other cast members would have killed for that gig. I imagine so. Got the poor guy who has to play, like, the third member of their gang. Oh, yeah, who's called America, right? Yes. Because he's Mexican, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, he must have had no fun whatsoever. Uh, apparently, the guy who plays... The relationship isn't defined, but there's, like, a bigger gangster who the ant words are kind of employed by... He has oh, some yeah, yeah, with not Ulysses Claw. Yeah, not Ulysses Claw. That's the guy. Uh, apparently, uh, the guy playing him just wanted to kill Joaquin Tudor Jones by the end of this shoot. Oh, wow. I mean, method acting. <laughs> that's, that's how he got into character by making sure that the director cast an absolute wanker as the person you hate. God, I wish it was him who Chaffee beat up at the end instead of Hugh Jackman. Should we talk about Hugh Jackman? Because when, when we agreed to do this episode, you were very excited to get stuck into yes. Hugh Jackman's I, character. Look, I mean, Timmy, it's not so much Hugh Jackman's character, is it, as just his amazing mullet. <laughs> Yes. Because there are some interesting haircuts in this film. There are. I, d- yeah. I don't know why, it's just the, the subtlety of that mullet really gets me every time. I think it's because I, sometimes when it's just him in profile, or not profile, the whatever not profile is, mm. I forget it's there, and then he turns his head. <laughs> and it's just a, a little scrunchy buff at the bottom. <laughs> This is very odd for Jackman because whereas he has done roles that require some sort of physical transformation before he, you know, bulks up to play Wolverine, he lost loads of weight to play uh, Jean Valjean. Um, But he's never done anything, or at least I've never seen him do anything which you could call a character role. His role is very much to be on the sidelines and sort of be, be a, a certainly an attention grabbing, certainly a charismatic character, but nowhere near the lead, right? Um, I don't know. I think he's done a fair amount of like leading man type stuff. Oh yeah, he has. That's what makes it strange for me. Oh, you, you mean like in the in the sense of this? Yeah, that he. Yeah, he is I mean, I this. certainly. I couldn't think of another, like, villainous role that Hugh Jackman's played. That's a good point. Yes. Yeah. I suppose the nearest comparison you could make would be one of those X-Men movies like First Class, where they bring Wolverine in for a sort of gala appearance. But even that only works because you remember him being the leading man in something else. This is the kind of role that you would get someone like, I don't know, Michael Shannon, David Harbour to play normally. Yeah, yeah, it is a weird casting choice. But he's also very good. Like, he's, I was going to say he's one of the best performers. Basically, everyone who's not DeAntbert is the best performance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he is very good. Um, I, I like Dev Patel's performance in this as well. Yeah, I think once you get past some of the dialogue he's saddled with. He does seem to have the worst of it, doesn't he? He does. Like, when he, without a single trace of irony, calls Deantvert Philistines. <laughs> Which, I mean, he's correct. It feels like the least of their offences. But yeah, and I mean... If this film had been about just him and Chappie, mm. it would have been so much more interesting. 
Yeah, I think so. I like the, the idea that they're going with, where there's almost this kind of nature v. nurture push that uh, Chappie is a police robot who falls into the hands of these criminals, played by the Antwoord, and they give him an extremely brutal kind of doggy-dog upbringing and teach him to become a gangster. And there's a question of, you know, is his programming irretrievably broken because of this? Um, I just think that would play better with literally anyone else other than the yes. ant word. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I assume we're supposed to take them seriously as gangsters, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I remember when the ant words were big and they were one of those artists you occasionally get where they're kind of, they're hipster touchstones, at least in the UK. And like a lot of bands who have that status, there's this question of are they are they serious? Are they ironic? You know, we don't know. But in this, yeah, they are deadly serious. You are absolutely meant to believe in these two as extremely cool, badass criminals. Which they're just very much not. No, absolutely not. I mean, Yolandi who isn't as bad as uh, Watkins Trumpany Humpany, uh, still looks far too much like a sort of albino Björk to really take seriously. Yeah, I, I was going to go pound down Björk. <laughs> yes, that's good. That's better. Yeah. When you order Björk off wish.com. Yes. This is what you get instead. <laughs> She's the Björk we have at home. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. What, what if they had this mix-up on the set of The Northman, though? That, that would be a crisis if they got oh. <laughs> the Ant Worth in for Björk's appearance in the new Robert Eggers film. <laughs> Jesus. Doesn't bear thinking I about, mean, really. I think it's, it's all fun and games until we get the Dianvert remake of Dancer in the Dark. <laughs> but at least they would die for real at the end, then. That's... Oh, my God, is that why I've not heard much from Bihook recently? <laughs> The ending of this is absolutely shamelessly begging for a sequel, isn't it? It really is. Well, well I saw online that apparently this was supposed to be like the first of a trilogy. Wowzers. Yeah, okay. Can you imagine a world where Neil Blomkamp has like James Cameron level clout? In a strange way, I prefer that world to a world where James Cameron has James Cameron-level clout. I think if, certainly if James Cameron had Neil Blomkamp-level clout, he would be a much better director. Indeed. Yeah, I say that. I'm, I'm not really sure it is any worse to live in a world with like a looming Chappie 2 rather than a looming 100 of the Avatar films. I think I would be more excited for the Chappie cycle, yes. <laughs> But it's it's funny that you should mention Cameron. I haven't seen Blomkamp's most recent film, Demonic. Um, it got an absolutely radioactive reaction. Like, I know Elysium and Chappie did not get great reactions, but they look, you know, they look like they had parasite-level acclaim compared to what people thought of Demonic. And I think without having seen it, I might have worked out why, because Demonic was all based around that volumetric capture technology that Cameron used on Avatar, which I don't understand at all, but I, I sort of get the gist of it. Um, and what appeals to me about Blomkamp's aesthetic, and it really does appeal to me, I find his worlds very easy to sink into, uh, even when they're as mad as this, is that it's very chunky, isn't it? It's very physical. It's all stuff that's there. Yeah. Look, as as much as I like to make fun of this film, I think you can't deny that from like a design standpoint, Neil Blomkamp is absolutely incredible. Mm, absolutely. I, I think it's even things like just the little motions that Chappie does, like when he's 
walking through the street and kind of like does a little hopping turn around because he hears things. Yes. That's just, it looks like a real thing. Yeah, absolutely. And this was made for 49 million, which, you know, it's not budget I'd turn my nose up at, but by the standards of a big, wide-release science fiction movie is jack shit, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's like the equivalent of pennies in that world. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I do love that his movies take place in a sort of 2000 AD kind of chunky, broken-down retro future uh, and I don't think doing stuff with performance capture is the best sort of way to to bring that out of him, because that it, it's like the the problem I always have with Avatar is that volumetric capture gives you a world that is limited only by your imagination. And the problem with Avatar is that it's James Cameron's imagination. Uh, likewise, I suspect the problem with Demonic is that it's, you know, saying we've cleared all of that excellent design and aesthetic away from the film, and all you're left with is pure Neil Blomkamp storytelling. Which you just think, oh shit, no, get it away from me. Yes, this is the wrong way round. Yes. You know, I would I would love to see Neil Blomkamp as like a designer of a man who makes all the CGI that probably has a fancy title. Mm -hmm. But just get someone else in to do like the story and characters. Yeah, I, I still think I, I would watch something he directed if it was the right project, but I think I'm happy for him to be a screenwriter, but he should not be the screenwriter. Yeah, like, I mean, oh, if we lived in a world where him and Alex Garland teamed up to do a, a Dread sequel, that would make me very happy indeed. Absolutely, yes. Because, uh, I mean, I've mentioned it before, but 2000 AD's influence is all over this, I think. Yeah, it is that. Same, like you say, chunky, very beaten up aesthetic. Mm. And people dying in ludicrously horrible fashion. Lord, not as much of that as I remembered. I remember District 9 is a very gory film. And I remember in interviews around the time he said he wished he'd push the violence further. But there's only really that bit towards the end with the moose that is particularly splattery, I think. Yeah. And I said that even now think about it, it's really only America who gets like the violent death. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else just gets exploded or they get shot and in Yolandi's case gets like a particularly uncomfortable gallstone, it looks like. <laughs> Possibly stubs her toe. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is certainly a woman in some mild discomfort. Yeah, it, it looks agonising. Um, and that's just the experience of watching it. But yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. Do you think the writing was already kind of on the wall for Blomkamp? Because he'd had this big swing at mainstream success with Elysium, which is American... $100 million budget, Matt Damon in the lead. Um, you know, even though we've said that this film is very star-studded, Matt Damon in Elysium is the nearest thing he's done to a conventional movie star performance, I think. Yeah, it does also help that he looks like the, the protagonist of every single video game ever in that film. He really does, doesn't he? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of I don't mind Elysium. It's another fine example of Neil Blomkamp's power suit fetish. Yeah. Again, Elysium is a film that looks incredible and has at least an inoffensive story, I find. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think some of the naysaying about Elysium has aged worse than the film itself. Like I remember there were just loads of nerds who were like 
well, if the rich need the workers and the workers need healthcare, why do the rich keep the healthcare for themselves? And you think, you live in America, you're a country where that is literally how society is ordered. Yeah, it's it's like those people online where like you see them ranting about, wow, I, I can't believe people are angry at me for telling this racist joke. It sure <laughs> sucks when I'm not allowed to say things because of who I am. Like, yeah. Oh, and you, you're so close. <laughs> yes. A little bit, but just follow the thought a little bit further. It but reminded me. It reminded me very much of that infamous Cinema Sins video where they did Blade Runner, and they said that it was a flaw, a plot hole. A pl- everything's a fucking plot hole. They said that it was a plot hole that the world of Blade Runner has bits that are really advanced and bits that are really dilapidated, and people tended to respond to that by saying, "Ah, yes, well, that's what cyberpunk is." But I don't think that's a very persuasive argument. I think the persuasive argument is that. You know, have you never been outdoors? Have you never seen the world you live in? Yeah, I mean, even in this country, look at London. Yeah. And then look at most of Yorkshire. Mm. Absolutely. Everywhere where there is great wealth, there is great poverty. It's, there's, the divide is so weird at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, but wow, I just, I can't believe CinemaSins got that one thing and only that one thing wrong. Oh yeah, obviously. Other than that, they're great. I go to them all the time for my second-hand opinions. Yeah, that's actually that's it. Because I was going to say it's a problem to talk about Chappie because it's just so intrinsically shallow. Mm. But shall instead we just run through and point out all the things we noticed in these films? And you pretend that that's criticism. Should yeah. we point out every single point where a character does something that turns out to be a mistake and pretend that it's a writing error? Yes, let's do that. I've always said I would Although... love to get one of these fuckers to watch a classic film noir and just have them sit for the whole thing going, well, if he knows the dame is trouble, why does he go back to her? Bit of a plot hole there, I'd say. Yeah, what's this? He's taking part in a dirty system even though he knows it's rigged. Ding. <laughs> oh god that's tied it back into the wider political thing hasn't it because cinema sense are literally that guy from the map boss is it a map boss cartoon where the medieval peasants like hollow-eyed slunk with a barrel of branches stuck on his back going we should improve society somewhat and this guy pops up out of a well and, go, and yet you've lived in society <laughs> how curious God, it really is. Also, going back to that earlier point about characters making mistakes. Yeah. Despite making fun of cinema sins, I do feel like there are a few points in this that did stretch my credulity a bit. Yes. Yeah. It's like, I feel like you could almost make it a point about Sigourney Weaver as character not realizing the implications of like a fully functional AI. And just mm. being like, you've made a robot that writes poetry. That's no use. As yes. like a damning indictment of corporate overlords having no idea about the product they make. Mm. But again, I feel like that's something that you kind of need a, a more mature script, shall we say. Or the more consistently immature script. I feel like that would work very well in a script that like committed to being an anti-corporate, anti-establishment satire. But the film has very little read on who Weaver's character is meant to be. What kind of boss is she? She's just a sort of an off-the-peg authority figure of the kind that Sigourney Weaver seemed to get stuck playing rather a lot of around this time. Yeah. Well, I think like the entirety of Tetraval, she exists 
because Dev Patel needs to work there so that he can make a robot. <laughs> and nothing else about that business is at all thought out. No. Because do, do they just not have security guards? They don't seem to. No security guards. And if Jackman's behaviour is anything to go by, very little in the way of a coherent HR policy. Yeah. The man carries a gun in an office. Yes. In an office for, like, a, a company that supplied the police, where you'd think that security and sticking to the law would be something you'd want to impress upon your employees. Indeed. Oh, that does remind me, though, of probably what my favourite line is. Oh. It's the bit where Hugh Jackman's unveiling the moose, and one of the security, the, uh, the police chief says, no, no, that's overkill. <laughs> like, oh, Neil. <laughs> Thinking the police wouldn't be interested in, like, a ten-foot-tall walking tank strapped full of rocket launches. God, absolutely, yeah. And that's one of the things I remember around this time, I was doing Cinema Eclectica when this was out, so I have like a perfect recall of all of the forgotten genre movies of the mid to late 2010s. But there's a bit in John Hillcourt's Triple Nine, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm as surprised as anyone else to be talking about in 2022, but here we are where uh, they, there's a police raid on this like poor black neighbourhood and they bring in a police vehicle that looks like a fucking tank. It is enormous. And that's not exaggerated. That's a real police vehicle. I think there, is a lot of, there are a lot of things in Chappie that are aiming for satire, and I, I am warmly disposed towards them, but like the ending with all the police officers being rehired, Blomkamp is just not cynical enough. Some of this is nowhere near as stupid as actual policing around the world currently is. Yeah. Police who use, like, actual armoured tank vehicles. I mean, by this time, I remember after the 2011 riots, uh, David Cameron... Remember him, by the way. He was a thing back around this time as well. Oh, um, yeah, God. So, talking about forgotten hits <laughs> of the 2010s. Yes. David Cameron, the Neil Blomkamp of politicians, uh, made a big show about bringing in the head of the LAPD in to give a talk to the mess about how to tackle the gang problem. And you think the only way in, this, in which this would make sense is if he starts off by saying, right, here's what you don't fucking do. Because there cannot be a police force in the world that is demonstrably worse at tackling a gang problem than the LAPD. They fucked it up at every turn for decades. Yeah. But that's why LA is now a, a safe haven. Completely, yeah. Famous the world over for its safe streets and <laughs> lack of drug problems. It's some bizarre shit, but um, yeah, I, I've, I felt sympathetically aligned to the police in this, in as much as they are against the ant word. Yeah, that's that's the big moral quandary, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, all cops are bastards, but they're also not the ant word. <laughs> E-C-A-N-D-A. -A. Yeah. So I, I guess we're with the boys in blue now. I, I guess we are, yeah. I've become a bootlicker overnight. Um, because, I mean, first of all, the thing with the ant word is their music is fucking terrible, and I'm so glad we're in the 2020s now and we don't have to pretend because we're worried about the... Like, there's always something at the back of your mind that thinks, why if this becomes an unironic phenomenon? And in the future, everyone is Zeph. Because they are Zeph, oh, aren't they? They are so Zeph. They are indeed. That They are whatever Zeph is, which I think is... <laughs> I mean, I've I've had a humanity visser. It's like your poor but fancy. Which thanks to you, Andy, that that crazy enough. <laughs> yes. 
They had a bit of time where they seemed to be breaking through. They were going to go on tour with Lady Gaga, and then they pissed her off by, I don't know, existing probably. Uh, to which Gaga, who regular listeners will know I am no fan of, uh, then tweeted back, I think you freaky, but you don't have a hit, which is, credit where credit's due, a great burn. It is, and she's not wrong. She's not wrong. It is absolutely mad looking back and thinking that we were thinking, oh, are they going to hit big? I mean, they're a South African white rap band and they've made a short film with Harmony Corinne. Megastardom surely beckons. Does it? Does it really beckon? I mean, all I can say is, thank God Neil Blomkamp is powerful as he thought he was. Because <laughs> I'm sure that must be part of it is that he looked at this and thought, well, at one time I made a film and I just cast my mate Charlto in it, and now he's a massive Hollywood star. So I'm yeah. sure I can just do the same thing with this band I like. Yes, that probably is it, isn't it? And, you know, looking at District 9, you would think that Blomkamp had a bit of a touch with non-actors, because Copley was was Copley an effects guy? Was that his job before? Uh, I think so. Was he yeah. like uh, like DP or something like that? He had some sort of technical behind the camera role. He was not an actor before he did District Nine, and he is flat out great in that film. I think. Yeah, he, he is genuinely incredible. And he's good in Free Fire, the Ben Wheatley film. And I like his performance in Elysium. I think he's one of the best things in Elysium. And and he's in the A-Team. And he's in the A-Team, yes. Where he's Which I only want to mention because I heard the best description for that film the other day. Oh. Which the, it's the kind of film that you expect to be a made-up film in the background of another film. <laughs> Yes, the A-Team with Liam Meeson as Hannibal absolutely does sound like a fake movie from 30 Rock or something. It does, which I mean, I thought the exact same, although I, I thought genuinely was a fake film from 30 Rock, Money Plane. But that's a real film that exists. Which one's Money Plane? It's, it's the one with Kelsey Grammer where he hires the rest oh. of Triple H to rob the Money Plane. Oh God, yes! And every scene with Kelsey Grammer, Kelsey Grammer is clearly just shot in his house. <laughs> There's something delightful about stars when they hit that level of just not giving a shit, isn't it? Like the the late period Steven Seagal movies where he has to have a stunt double to if he needs to walk across the room without losing yes. his breath. I mean, even if they are just trying to chase the long shadow of Marlon Brando. Yeah, rest in peace to a real one who did it first, did it best, did it while threatening to put his hand up Frank Oz's ass and use him as a muppet. What a guy. Yeah. Bad man. <laughs> but I'm still glad he existed. I... Unlike the Antwerp. Unlike the Antwerp. Yes, we should probably sort of bring this back round at some point. But um, they were apparently terrors on set. Uh, Watkins Hedgley Bedgley was going around like sexually harassing female members of the crew. Uh, they gave Dev Patel a pot brownie without telling him there was drugs in it. And the thing that I find most astonishing from all of these accounts of them being nightmares on set is that is the, the the revelation that apparently as a result Blomkamp cut their appearance in the film down my god how much the ant word was going to be in this thing originally I don't because they are already practically the main characters of this film. Yes, absolutely. They're certainly the main human characters, I would say. 
which is ridiculous. Like Dev Patel gets absolutely nothing. He does, and this was—I mean, th- this was slightly before his recent career bounce. He was—he was in Slumdog yeah, but this Millionaire. Was, yeah, I was say, this is still post Slumdog, so he yeah. was like pretty hot shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he wasn't quite at the level he is now when he is legitimately, I think, the greatest leading man in modern British cinema. He's just incredible in stuff like David Copperfield and The Green Knight. But God, you know, you think he had a big axe in this. He had a big axe in this, and you think? No, I, was like, I, I wish he had a big axe in this. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I just thought that was lost among the chaos in my mind. Yeah, I also wish he had a big axe in this. <laughs> But Blomkamp clearly saw something in him, right? Because I don't think anyone else would have given him this role at that point. He was still having to make do with shit like M. Night Shyamalan's Last Airbender. Oh, God. Yeah, remember that. I wish I didn't. (laughs) But yeah, and clearly... Because, I mean, at the end of the film, like he is kind of the emotional crux of that. Like, it's about him coming back as a robot. Yes, yeah. But it's, but it's like that scene is when the film's in the, oh, wait, oh, no, God, oh, this guy was the main character the whole time. Oh, oh, I've beansed this. Do you think that maybe the original plan was to end it with that tremendously anticlimactic bit where Yolandi is rebuilt as a robot? Do you think that was meant to be the culmination of it all? Maybe, yeah, if it was maybe more of like an actual scene than just a threat of a sequel. Yeah. Do you know the weirdest thing about this film? Because like like you, I'd watched it before. I went out to watch it at the cinema and I came back and thought, that is a good film. I wish it didn't have the ant word in. But the weirdest thing is that I watched it again for this show and I thought the same thing. I don't know if I have Neil Blomkamp Stock- Stockholm Syndrome, but God help me, I think I kind of like Chappie. I, I would like to like Chappie. <laughs> this is the kind of show that I've wished uh, we could do for a while because on Cinema Eclectic we used to have some excellent disagreements uh, but over the course of discussing one film for an hour you tend to smooth them out but it does not sound like anything could bring you back towards a more pro-chappy position It isn't because I feel like the problem with the film is that I think we probably both like similar bits. Yeah. But the fact that I like those bits just infuriates me. Because it <laughs> gives me that little hint of, this is what the film could have been. Yes. And I just find, as, as I become older and more bitter, I can no longer forgive that. Yeah, maybe. I think maybe one of the things that's sort of, that's keeping my affection at the level is that, this is a pretty weird outlier to be a mainstream Hollywood film in 2015, but it's a completely, you, know, you could not imagine this thing existing today. Everything is so focus grouped. Everything is so tied into uh, franchises that I cannot imagine a major studio releasing something as tonally weird as this. Yeah, I mean, certainly on paper, I love the idea that a director was just able to be like, yeah, I'm going to make my like political commentary robot sci-fi feature. And I'm just going to cast my favourite rap group in it. Yeah, yeah. And that's going to be the big summer hit. Oh, yeah, I'd love it if that happened more often, not least because it would make it really easy to do more episodes of this podcast. That's, that's very true. And that's but what yes. cinema should do, in my opinion. Except I think having watched this, <laughs> directors having control is a bad thing, actually, and all movies should just be heavily controlled by the studio. 
I want to end it there. I want that to be our point in summary. <laughs> Artistic freedom was a mistake, says Pop Scream. Well, it was fun having this my final episode of the show. <laughs> yes, but I, I, I am duty bound to ask if you have any final thoughts on Chappie uh, before we close the book on it and, and become possibly the last people to discuss Chappie ever. I think that there's a chance that could happen this week. Okay, well, just to, just to bounce the books a little bit, I like his wiggly ears. They are very cute, aren't they? Chappie's body language in general is wonderful, I think. Yeah, but again, they could have done so much more, Graham. They could. They had that nugget of greatness and they just de-anverted all over it. <laughs> it's uh, Afrikaans for the answer, apparently. Raising to the, the question, issue. how do you make anything objectively a hundred times worse? Yes, yeah. The, the, the right question is not being asked. I think we can say that for definite. Oh dear, well, stop ninja, stop ninja, stop. We have reached the end of this week's pop screen. Uh, if you'd like to check out more episodes, you can donate to our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash the geek show, where you'll get an exclusive monthly bonus episode of this show, as well as my, I, I would say, involved Doctor Who reviews. Um, and uh, if you if you like the show also, just give us a five-star rating, share us online, do all of the traditional things that help podcasts grow. But until next week, when we'll be back with more Pop Screen, uh, I've been Graham. And I've been Andrew. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.